0: Welcome back to Mouthpiece, the most unfiltered and the greatest boxing show on YouTube. I'm Savage Dan. I'm Paulie the Magic Man Malinaji. And uh, I won't get into Chelsea's FA Cup win. It was, it was a decent enough win, but uh, Paulie, do, who do you support actually? Uh, I grew up uh, as a kid.
1: My father got me a Juventus kit when I was very, very young. So I liked uh, Juventus for while I was growing up. But then in 07 when I won a world title, AC Milan invited me to Milanello for a whole week, and I stayed over at Milan. So I gave them a lot of love, and it was, a gr- it was a really great team to hang out with because they had just won the Champions League a few months earlier uh, over Liverpool. So at that time, uh, it was such an experience that I started giving Milan a lot of love, even publicly. You know? At this point, I'll be honest, I probably root just for the Serie A in general. Uh, I, I enjoy the Serie A on the weekends. Uh, I don't really get emotional over who wins and who loses, uh, unless the teams are in Europe. I do, I do root for the league as a whole. And uh, I, I, I root for Serie teams, which has not, it has not been a good year in Europe for Syria, <laughs>
0: so So it's
1: not... It good. hasn't.
0: It hasn't. But let me remind everyone, this is a boxing show. This is a boxing show. Sorry, we, we do get carried away sometimes. Um, as always, remember to like, comment, subscribe. And speaking of comments, one of the best ones from last week was, can you rank the four kings? And those four kings being Hagler, Hearns, Duran, and Leonard. I'll leave that to you, Paulie.
1: Dan, this is such a controversial subject because it's going to draw emotion no matter what. I mean, who who Mm -hmm. do you... First of all, it's very difficult to rank them, right? Leonard is always like the darling of everybody. Sugar Ray Leonard, everybody always loves Sugar Ray Leonard, and he's the darling. So everybody, always, he's always everyone's universal number one. But you can even make a case that he's not the universal number one. I also have a big problem with Wilfred Benitez not being in the in the in the four kings as well. I mean, Wilfred Benitez yeah. has a, a clear win over Roberto Duran. He lost a 15-round decision to Tommy Hearns when Duran was knocked out in two rounds to to Hearns. I guess because Benitez never fought Hagler while, while the other guys all fought each other. I don't, I don't, I don't really get it, but I, I mean, I respect all four of the four kings, nonetheless, and it's very hard to rank them. Because let's look at it from the Leonard perspective, right? If you rank Leonard number one, he's got the win over Hearns. He waited eight years for a rematch where he was given a draw where Hearns clearly won the rematch, even though he wouldn't give him, give Hearns a rematch, right? And even in the first fight, Hearns was ahead, And Leonard got the stoppage. All credit to him for showing character, skill, will, all of that good stuff. But if you look at it over the course of two fights, Hearns won a lot more rounds over Leonard. A lot more. I mean, he was winning. He won more rounds in the first fight, and he clearly won more rounds in the second fight as well when he was awarded the draw. So you even have something controversial there, right? You have Leonard beating Hagler. Again, Leonard is one of my favorite fighters. I used to watch him and try to copy a lot of things, so this is no discredit to Leonard. But again, you try to call a spade a spade. He beat Hagler in a 12-round fight at a time when 15 rounds were the world championship fights, was the world championship distance. He forced Hagler into a 12-round fight. Then uh, he forced Hagler to wear bigger gloves in the fight. They wore bigger gloves than when it should have been, uh, uh, I think, 10 ounces. I don't don't remember what. I think it was 12 ounces, maybe, the, the fight gloves. Somebody get me the exact fact, but I know that they had to wear bigger gloves. And the ring was the size... Of of the ring was the size of Anfield. You know what I'm saying? It was huge. You know, so so a, it was it was, you know, all politics on the side of Leonard. And still Leonard, I still think even in that ring, if the right is 15 rounds, I think Hagler catches up to him because he was starting to really close the gap. Um, so again, I, I know Leonard is a darling, and again, personally, I love Leonard because stylistically he was a guy that I used to love to watch and try to learn from because he had this he had a speed style. But you have to also Kind of put into perspective these other guys, to where you can kind of mix and match these guys. There's not a uni- for me. There's not a universal number one here. It's just a matter of wh- who you like, personality wise, charisma wise, style wise, and obviously Leonard is everyone's favorite. But in reality, you can make a case for a lot of those guys. Um, how do you look at it? Hearns was obliterated by Hagler, but he obliterated Duran. You know,
0: that, that in a way, there's there's not there is no clear answer. You can only give your favorite in rank, I guess.
1: Okay, my favorite. Okay, my favorite. My favorite fighter of that era, to be honest, is not even in the four. Is is Benitez. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, that, that's why I mentioned them. Wilfer Benitez is my favorite fighter of that era. Um, but after that, you know, who do we go with? Leonard, Hagler,
0: Hearns, Duran. I mean, is, is that how you? Is that how probably most people would rank? Them? I'm gonna just take your, your first answer because I fear it might be the only one we get. So, guys, whoever's backstage, who, whoever's upstairs, why are you always put me on this spot? What about you <laughs> the, for the four kings? Because I read the brief and you don't. I see how it is. Make me get all the criticism. Uh, to be fair, I I wouldn't be any better than you answering that. I have no idea how I'd even begin to rank those whilst trying to do it very logically. I'm only just going to go with what I liked best. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Haglott as my number one. And it doesn't really matter where the rest of them go because they're all pretty much there and about. They're all fantastic fighters anyway. So, yeah, tough, tough comment, tough question. I can't even argue with a hagley number one.
1: Uh... Uh, ranking i can't you know because like I said, I think if you have that fight under normal circumstances for nineteen eighty seven which is when they fought under normal nineteen eighty seven circumstances,
0: hagler probably knocks line it out yeah i agree i agree um in terms of in terms of those fighters we know that that is a that that was an era of boxing that was so tough, you know in terms of mentality the regime it was there was something different it almost was like You know, real-life Rocky stories all over the place.
1: I just feel like there was more passion. I mean, everybody always fights for money, obviously. You always want to secure your financial future. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't just about money. Like, you got to understand, Leonard and Hearns fought in their early primes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't even see that. You see guys now, you see guys marinating these super fights for so long... That by the time they have them, they're not even in their primes anymore. And they don't have that rage inside them where you're going to put it all on the line when they fight. It's almost like a da- it becomes a dance, like Mayweather Pacquiao. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to when you fought in those days, when you fought in your prime, you were still chasing greatness. So Leonard and Hearns, that fight, you could see they're still chasing something. They're already considered great fighters, but still have a, there's still a lot to prove for both fighters. So they fought that way. They fought the fight that way. You know what I'm saying? And, and that... Is why that era is so loved because, although you have although you have, uh, although you have a uh, uh, guys obviously making money important which it always is this is prize fighting, you also had a, a passion for these for 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 the for boxing a respect for boxing for the championship for yeah. the love yeah. of being great the, the a legacy you know which, I feel like no matter how much fighters today say that, it's still secondary to your bank account you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, I don't even know if that's wrong necessarily, but it does decrease the love f- of the sport uh for the fans, you know, uh, because the fans recognize this as well and they love to see guys they love to root for guys and talk about guys who put it all on the line.
0: It's almost like it's it's becoming uh slightly more of a business than it is a sport, which is understandable. But it, it, it it's it's not great, you know. For for a fan, you want to see the best fights all the time. There's obviously a lot of cold wars in boxing, and a lot of fighters that that want to fight each other but can't for various reasons, networks, promotions, all of that kind of stuff. The only people that really lose are the fans.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, you know, it, it, it's not a lot we can do about it because it's becoming more and more political in that way. You know, I remember Mike Tyson said, you know, these guys aren't fighters. He goes, I was a fighter. I wanted to hurt you. These guys are businessmen. To a degree, you kind of you have to be a businessman. I mean, um, but also your legacy matters. You know, um, look at what Hagler did after the after he lost the Leonard fight. He said, "No, nah, he, he you weren't not going to buy him. You know, you weren't even gonna put him in a position where he could get robbed again."
0: Let's review uh, this weekend's results. Akoli is now the WBO world champion after beating Glowaxi in the. Sick frown, I believe it was. It was a six frown KO. Even I picked Okoli,
1: but I thought it would be more competitive. I mean, I told yeah. you, there's something special about a guy who makes that decision in that point in his life and then follows through with it. Like we talked about Lawrence Okoli last week when he watched Anthony Joshua. He was working at McDonald's and he watched Anthony Joshua win a gold medal. He decided, you know what, I'm going to be a pro boxer and I'm going to do that. Yeah. And a lot of people say that. A lot of people say that. A lot of people say, you know what, man? What are what are they doing? You know, I got it wrong. I got to go change my life, but they don't actually follow through because following through is it takes a special kind of psychology, psychology, and mentality. This guy, yo, we got the proof. I mean, Eddie, Eddie Hearn, employee of the month, but in the re- in reality, you know, he decided that, and he went from that to what we saw over the weekend. You know, a world champion yeah. and a guy who on his way up was already scaring people that you kind of could see he was going to become a world champion. It wasn't like, oh, he he accomplished a dream against the odds. It was only against the odds when he started. But once he started to do it, I mean, you could see this guy had a special kind of mentality. And and yeah. obviously uh, his awkward style, his determination and everything else and his power, his power worked for him very well. Big power.
0: It, it says, it. I mean, look, it's, some people wait their whole life Trying to pick up British domestic titles, Europeans. He's done it in sixteen fights, and when I say done it, he's become a world champion, beating a very good champion, uh, or he didn't beat the champion, but Gl- Glowak, he would was a, a, a previous champion. Um, so he's he is um, look, he's got he's got the cruiserweight division on on red alert, I suppose you know, and and when you look at what's in front of him, you know, he's he's talking about going to fight Bradus, who is probably the the big guy at cruiserweight. And I'm not even sure if he if if, if he can beat a Do you know what I mean? He's, he's, is so awkward, so long, got such uh um such power that unless you actually really enjoy fighting uh you know uh fighters that are that are longer than you and you're very good at judging distance and slipping inside jabs and stuff like that, you're gonna have a really, really hard night's work against Lawrence O'Coli.
1: Yeah, because you don't have to make too many mistakes to get knocked out of the fight, you know. Uh, in that weight class, Lawrence's power is really, truly uh, effective, you know. And uh, so there's, you have to kind of be aggressive because he's he's got this. He's so tall uh, for that weight class, um, and he kind of know he knows how to use his awkwardness and height to his advantage. So you've got to take the chances and uh, you can't take too many wrong chances with him before you find yourself out of the fight. That was, I mean, Glowacki got beat up. I didn't expect that. You know, I expected Glowacki yeah. to have some success and, and force Okoli to have some moments that he hasn't experienced in his pro career. But, um, you know, I thought Okoli would come out of it late because Okoli's uh, power, I think—I fe- thought—I felt, would eventually wear down Glowacki. But it was a hard fight to pick for me. And then when I watched it, I'm like,
0: this guy's making it look so simple. Very, very, very good performance. Um... You know, the cruiserweight division is, is a division that, you know, for obvious reasons, kind of gets overlooked a lot of the times. There's loads of talent in it, but because it's not quite heavyweight, it doesn't seem to always get the attention it deserves. For me, that's so
1: BS and terrible that the media forces this because I blame the media for this crap, man. I mean, really, mm-hmm. you have a cruiserweight division that if the guys would have stayed at cruiserweight, if, imagine you would have had... Because Usyk at heavyweight, come on, let's face it, he's winning, but he's not that impressive at heavyweight. You know what I'm saying? Like He's, he's not scary to the to the champ to, to the world champion. So let's say you had Usyk that had stayed a cruiserweight, you know? You had Gassiev, who was a scary cruiserweight, but a heavyweight he's kind of small, but he had scary power cruiserweight. Dorticos. Yeah. You have, you know, uh uh, you, like I said, Dorticos, you have uh, uh, Golaki just got taken out, uh, Bradis, yeah. and now you've got a Coley. Bro, you've got an amazing weight class. If you stop forcing these yeah. guys to go up to heavyweight, because you stop start, you if you would just stop making these guys feel like their weight class doesn't matter. It's the
0: it's the only division where we have that. It's the only one as well where you it, you know whether you're at lightweight, light weight, it doesn't matter. You don't feel forced to have to go up to the elite division, but cruiserweight. I don't know why, but it, that has always been the narrative that if you are a good cruiser, even going back to, you know, the days of Evander Holyfield, once you've completed it, you have to go up. Even before Evander Holyfield, or
1: Bob Foster. Bob Foster got smoked by Joe Frazier because he tried to do... Actually, Bob Foster was at, was at light heavyweight, actually. But I, I think they created the cruiserweight division after that. But nonetheless, yeah, since the, since they created it, you're right. Since they created it, it's always been this, this mystique about, you know, it's just a pit stop on the way to the heavyweight division. And... And you ruin it, cause I think if you had let those guys all stay at cruiserweight, right? Can you imagine a, a, a cruiserweight division with the guys I just named? They're all still active. Yeah. Just some, a lot of them left for the heavyweight division. Some of them did, you know. Yeah. So you would you would actually have a more fun weight class than the heavyweight division. If the, all those guys were at cruiserweight, that would be must watch TV. If that all those guys were yeah. a cruiserweight battling each other, that would be must watch TV. Instead, you've got half of them in the or, or a percentage of them in the heavyweight division. Who okay, they're winning, but they're not really a threat and then the other guys are remaining at cruiserweight wondering when they're going to go to heavyweight. So what are you doing? Like, the boxing can't stop getting in its own way, bro. That's the problem.
0: Speaking of cruiserweights, then, and seeing as the the media doesn't give the cruiserweight division as much respect and as much shine as it should, we'll do it here on Mouthpiece. Who would you say is the most successful, the, the best cruiserweight of all time? Um... You know, it's
1: uh, it's an interesting question because you haven't had the cruiserweight division around for that long, maybe uh, it, three, four decades. Um, obviously, you can't have that conversation without having the Holyfield in it. You know, yeah. Um, and I, I think it's a it's a question between, for my for me for my money, it's a question between uh, Holyfield, David Hay, and Alexander Usyk. For me, the most su- 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 successful cruiserweights. Um, Then you have to have you have to kind of have your pick um, among them. But for me, those are the top cruiserweights I've seen in in, in my life, you know. um, With all respect to you know, guys like Dwight Muhammad Kawi and um,
0: was Spinks a cruiserweight? I
1: don't even know if Spinks went to cruiserweight.
0: Yeah, I think he was.
1: Yeah, he was. Okay. Um, you know. um,
0: But for me, I mean, there's there's only one name that jumps off the page at me and that's Evander Holyford. And it would have been, it would have jumped off the page at me even more if he didn't go to heavyweight. But he was such a dominant heavyweight to be fair as well. It's just a, a proper, proper fighter. And maybe that's why there is this
1: standard because he set that standard and then he went to the heavyweight division and also became yeah. uh, a dominant champion. And I feel like that kind of set a precedent that it's so difficult. I mean, first of all, heavyweights are so much bigger now too. It's crazy. You know, they, you, they were big enough when when Holyfield was going up to the heavyweight division, but now you got s- guys six, 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 seven, six, eight. Like they, these cruiserweights are not – they can't fill out that way. There's no way. Even O'Coley, who's a massive cruiserweight at six five, he's like a toothpick, though. You know how you gonna? How's that guy gonna fill out? He's past. He's past his developmental age. You know, you're a grown man already. Mm-hmm. So how are you gonna put on that much weight? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, I don't know, bro. I, I feel
0: like they put these impossible tests in front of these guys. Do you know what? I've actually always looked at that that jump between um light heavyweight and cruiserweight. I remember it even as an amateur. I don't understand why, you know, when you're going from 140 to 147, yes, it's seven pounds here, it's three, it's three kilograms. That jump between light heavyweight and cruiserweight is 10 kilograms. That
1: is huge. I, guess, I assume, I mean, I, I can't speak from personal experience because I was never anywhere near those weight classes. I'm a little guy. But... Um, I assume it's because, uh, the percentage of your body weight, you know, so you're bigger. So it's a sm- still a smaller percentage of your body weight because you're a bigger guy overall, but it's still a, a difficult jump. Um, when you talk about light heavyweight to cruiserweight, like, so even right now, I, 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 I'd consider even better BF could go to cruiserweight, you know? But then what happens? If he starts knocking out a few cruiserweights, are they going to start telling him he's got to be a heavyweight? Better BF's too small to be a heavyweight. He's a dominant light heavyweight, but, you know, he's, he's too small to go up to heavyweight. But the instinct the guy goes to cruiserweight, right away they're going to be asking him, as soon as he knocks out one cruiserweight, they're going to be asking him when he's going to heavyweight. They've never put
0: on gloves in their life, Paulie. That's why. Um, speaking of Babetiev, he obviously dispatched of who um, in, in round 10. He was pretty stubborn, to be fair. I watched that fight. And although it was a dominant display, there was a stubbornness um, uh, to 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 Dennis that that decided he wasn't going to go easily. You know, he was going to have to be really, really punished almost in order to get him out of there. And that's the thing about Beter Biev. He's not a guy who
1: who is has a, a lot of uh, razzmatazz. He just kind of comes in there and and destroys you. So you kind of if you don't have enough skill set to at least trouble him and win some rounds. You're just gonna wind up being a guy who's deciding, okay, I'm gonna tough this out and, and see if I can get 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 out of, get him out of there. Again, I brought it up last week. I'll bring it up again. I don't think t- fighting better be in a in a te- techn- completely technical way is gonna last you. It's gonna do you well. He might do you a few well a few rounds, uh, but eventually he does get to you. Um, like uh, and Alexander Vostik had uh, had that experience. Where Vostik is an ex Olympian and he's a, he's a, a really good boxer. But eventually, bitter B- and he troubled may have trouble. Bitter BF early. Bitter BF got to him close the gap and finally got him out of there. My opinion: You got to fight him like Callum Johnson did, and then, and that's it. If you don't, <laughs> it's kill or be killed. And yeah. with a bitter BF, it's it's just the way you got to do it. Otherwise, you're going to wind up like this past weekend where you got somebody who's just toughing it out. He's trying, but he's not really. A threat to better He's not a threat. You know, it it it, it, it you never felt like better was in any kind of danger to lose the fight or or, or be, be in any kind of danger to um um you know the, the momentum of the fight starts shifting. You know, it's just the guy was stubborn. He was tough and and uh, but it never I don't think better ever went back to his corner thinking, "Man, you know, I've got my hands full tonight,"
0: you know? No. Um is he the only person that could beat Canelo at this point? Does, uh, I know you don't think so, but and as it stands canelo seems to be going through the weight divisions he's yet to really have a proper look at light heavyweight
1: yeah i don't think canelo is a natural light heavyweight so i don't think um i don't think he's going to face the biggest light heavyweight you know um the strongest light heavyweight you know um you know i think when you start going up to too many weight classes you have to start picking which championship fights you want to take and i don't think there's anything wrong with that um i think better be probably would knock out canelo but um you know uh I think I think I don't think I don't think that's even a fair question towards Canelo to, to have to fight better yeah. BF. I, I think he's he's done a lot of weight classes, but when you start going to light heavyweight, he's probably got to start picking and choosing uh, what what uh, his, his and take some calculated
0: risks and not just all out risks. In the news this week, Terence Crawford has I won't say hit out, but he's definitely made a statement, basically saying that he is past looking at the Errol Spence fight. He said, I'm not thinking or worried about Errol Spence anymore. That fight is beyond me. I don't need Spence. He needs me. Um, is This is one of the fights that the world really does want to see it. You know, it's been brewing for a couple of years now. It doesn't look like it happens.
1: Nah, nah, I don't. And if it happens, it seems like it's taking the route of the mayweather Paglia fight where it happens. Yeah both they're both past uh, their prime um disappointing uh I, I get where crawford's coming from i mean spence offering them only 80 20 or 70 30 split um a bit uh, is a bit uh it's almost like you purposely pressing yourself out of the fight you know i don't know if, if i can say that you know uh that's way too too big of a split you know it's it's uh, too 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 large of a gap for that split for a guy like crawford to take so I mean, if you're looking f- to do that, that's another way of turning down the fight, you know, without turning it down, you know. Um, so, you've probably got to start seeing other guys, you know. I, I love the way Vigilio Ortiz looked over the weekend. Um, really, yeah. really good performance. Maurice Hooker is a good fighter, and, and he still fights with the with the determination and hunger. So, in order to beat Maurice Hooker, you, you've you got to know how to fight, you've got to be good, uh, you've got to be determined, you've got to put them together. Uh, it, w- it was really impressive how Vahilio Ortiz took out Maurice Hooker, because... Hooker himself showed a lot um, in the fight. And I think that a guy like Hooker continues to allow a guy like Virgilio Ortiz to keep maturing, keep getting better, uh, because these are the kind of opponents that, you know, not everybody can beat. You know, Maurice Hooker, there's still a lot of guys yeah. Maurice Hooker can beat, but Virgilio Ortiz in beating him and then in, in, in having to work to get the win. I feel like continues to not only uh, get better, but continues to show himself to be a, a dangerous guy in, the in, in and around these weight classes. And I think uh, it's going to be pretty soon that uh, these big names like Crawford and Spence are going to have to also start to consider a uh, 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 Virgilio Ortiz. I don't think he beats those guys quite yet, um, but he's starting to really, really sh- show himself to be uh, a, a must-watch TV guy and a guy who people should start paying attention
0: to. Also, this week, the WBC president has said that he wants uh, the, the the man that seems to be lost in space right now, Deontay Wilder, fighting Dillian White as a final eliminator. It's wishful thinking. I'm not sure if it happens. What do, what do you think?
1: I love the fight. I think Dillian hasn't um, has not gotten. Uh, he's just doing his career. Um, I think Dillian uh, is a lot better than than. I think people think. Uh, I've watched Dillian a lot in his career, um, probably more than a lot of fans who talk about him. Um, and I think uh, I think him and Wild is a really good fight, honestly. Especially right now, where Wild is coming off the a really bad loss. You don't know where he is psychologically. Um, obviously, Dillian <laughs> when he got knocked out by Fedkin, you said the same thing about that, right? Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's a, a very interesting. Eliminator, because it's, it's an eliminator. It becomes an eliminator, but it's also very much a crossroads fight. You know, uh, where would the loser go there? You know, uh, it's really, really interesting. Um, but I like those fights because desperation breeds hunger and contempt.
0: I like it as well. And and the thing is, I mentally coming off a loss, um, you know, can have whatever effect on a fighter. At least I feel like I know what effect it has on... Dillian White, you know, he's very. As soon as he loses, he's very vocal. You can kind of, you know, have a, a almost a bit of an observation as to where he's at right now and how how he feels and his confidence and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas with Deontay Wilder, he's been out the ring for a while now. We've heard, you know, numerous uh, let's call them accusations and comments from him. But I don't know if we ever see him in the ring again. I'm not sure if, if we do what what trainers he's with and all. all I don't know anything, you know. Yeah, I, I
1: I agree with you. I think uh, I think he's uh, I, <laughs> I don't know how to put this uh, but I, I, I he's almost like he's lost his mind. You <laughs> know, I mean, granted, I probably some people think that of me sometimes, but <laughs> but, but I mean, uh, I feel like Deontay's falling into that category. You know, like he's really lost it. You know, he was I remember Deontay on the way up was such a likable guy. He had that southern charm to him, and and, um really he was a guy who had an exciting style and you you were almost enjoyed watching him continuously improve and you enjoyed him or, and around him being around his team and, and and everything and then all of a sudden it was just like he had this 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 mentality started to come around him where you have to worship him or you can't be around him you know what I'm saying it was almost like whoever wasn't worshiping worshiping him was like uh, uh you know axed you know or or, or mm. cast out cast away on the outside you know and it was so weird because when you only have people like that around you, you start to live in a in a different reality. You start to live in a fake reality, and I feel like that's what happened to Deontay. You know, he started talking about kingdoms and his and his people and serving his and his. He's the king, and and your king is coming. My man, dude, we're not living in 1400. You know what I'm saying? Like, what you? I get that you're king and I mean, you want to feel like that, but you're talking about your fans that support you almost as like people beneath you, like. And I be almost like as a, as your subjects in a kingdom where you command everybody. Like my guy, like that's a little too
0: extreme.
1: It's we're, too much. Yeah, we're not living in the Braveheart days or the Gladiator days. You know, like it's too much. I get I get for us from a psychological point of view, you can think that in order to get yourself pumped up, but you don't talk, you don't speak that way consistently. And the fact that he has only yes men around him has maybe put him in a position where he's now. Lost all sense, all touch with reality. You know, um, so it got to the point where even the accusations for the wild, for the uh, for the fury fight just got way out of hand. I mean, he didn't know what to say anymore because everybody around you that's only allowed to be around you are the only are, are the only the people that are okay with you speaking this way. Nobody's putting you in check anymore. Nobody's telling you like, guy, keep that one to yourself. Don't say that one publicly.
0: You can't go after ten different stories and blame ten different things. Or, or it, it just it, look, it looks stupid, you know, 100%. Uh, I'm not sure where he's going to be. But, you know, he's, he's still got his right hand. Um, yeah, he sure does. <laughs> yeah, and and you, if it lands, you're in trouble. I'll tell you what, Dillian's
1: a great trash talker. Dillian's a great... I mean, Dillian would jump all over this kind of thing. Those press conferences yeah. would be class. You could, you could charge $4.99 pay-per-view f- price for press conferences and then the full pay-per-view price for, for the fight itself I mean yeah. and then put into consideration that it's a crossroads fight of, of enormous proportions for both guys I mean I, I think there's so much potential to, for, to be a really fun fight um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it I'd like to see it
0: yeah I like it Suleiman get it done this coming weekend we have speaking of Dillian White we have the big one you know, this is this is one, I don't know how, because it's, it's had a couple of date changes, it's slipped under the radar a little bit and people might not realise it is here. But Dillian White, Al- Alexander Povetkin is, it is it is everything for him, for, for Dillian White. It's almost as if his entire career is almost dependent on this fight now because he, He he's he's taken a lot of tough fights that he didn't necessarily need to take. He was he was already in mandatory positions and so forth. He took one against uh, Povetkin, got beat, and now if you get beat again, I'm not sure if there's a way back.
1: Yeah, sets you back, you know. And you're right about the the fights, the tough fights he was taking that really. Got him nowhere, but yet he still wanted to stay in tough. Like, I remember the Oscar Rivas fight. Well, Oscar Rivas was legitimately a tough guy, undefeated. Mm-hmm. Like People were talking about him. And, and Dillian got in there and did his thing with this guy, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, And it was like, okay, and, and, and he's the kind of opponent who everybody knew was dangerous but hadn't yet built up enough of a name. So guys like Dillian shouldn't be fighting guys like that because they're thinking, like, what does it do for me? But Dillian got in there and fought him anyway and beat, and beat him well. Beat him well. So... Maybe the mileage on him caught up to him. I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I can't call it a lucky punch that if can hit, landed because you can tell he set it up very well. You know that that dip after the initial punch that he threw and then throw the uppercut. You can see that's a that's a that's a move that you work on for whether a counter shot from Dillian comes or not. You're making that move anyway. That's something that you you. You use as a decoy, the jab, you're using it as a decoy to change the angle. And if you get Dillian's reaction, which is to freeze instead of step back or step around, you have him at an angle now where you can throw that hard So I mean, it worked out perfectly, but it was a design shot by Pavetkin. So you can't call it lucky. But nonetheless, he tried it at the right time in the fight. Um, it just worked out for him. You know, if he tries it at a different time, maybe Dillian's going to take a different step um, in that moment. And then, you know, the uppercuts not going to be there to land. You know, timing is everything in, in life and in the ring for sure. But it was a fight Dillian was winning easily, let's face it, you know. Now it's just really a matter of the psychology. It, it, how is he coming back from taking that massive shot? I'll tell you what What you can hang your hat on if you're a Dillian White fan, though. You can hang your hat on this. Dillian took a bad knockout loss to AJ and came back and had had a major run since that loss. You know, he yeah. that, that that was a bad knockout, and he it did not affect him one bit. So let's see if he has the same stubbornness and mental wherewithal to be the guy he has been for these years uh in and and show that in the rematch i'm very curious about this weekend's fight as well
0: i feel like he does you know regardless of that that loss uh, up until the knockout it was probably the best i've seen dillian white box uh for a long long time so i am gonna stick my neck out and i'm gonna say that we get a dillian white win this weekend what can i get from you
1: I'm going with Dillian. Dillian's always been one of my favorite guys to watch.
0: I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm betting that it, it is going to be a white victory, but I've, I I wouldn't say I'd be totally surprised or surprised at all if Prevetkin pulled it off again. Absolutely not. It's the heavyweight division, and he's a top, top, top fighter. He's a boogeyman. Yeah, he is the boogeyman. He, he, he almost had AJ going. He's a tough, tough cookie. Because he's not going to win a championship anymore,
1: but he's still going to knock your championship dreams out of the way if you're not careful. Exactly.
0: Right, it is a busy week or a busy day for on this day. Uh, a lot has happened. In 1983, Larry Holmes beat Lucien Rodriguez. In 1979, Larry Holmes beat Osvaldo Acasio. And in 1974, George Foreman KO'd Ken Norton. I'm sure there's another one from Larry Holmes somewhere knocking around as well. Joe Louis in 1942 beat Abe Simon. And... In 1968, Muhammad Ali beat Zora Foley. Of a lot of, I mean, a, a lot of those um, on these days were were dominated by the heavyweights. Who would win in a boxer tournament? Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, or Joe Louis?
1: I don't know. Somebody with a fast pace. None of those guys. You know what? You know what I'm gonna say. Foreman won a gold medal. Ali won a gold medal. Because you have to start looking at who was a really... Who was effective as an amateur in the short pace. So, you know... Uh, say between Ali and Foreman. But in a short fight, Ali wouldn't be able to rope a dope. You know, so he'd have to take on Foreman in his, at his strongest. You know, I don't know, man. Maybe Foreman's got a, more of an advantage in a boxer. In, under the boxer format, you know. <laughs> if you take
0: away the rope a dope from Ali, you never know. That's the one that I had my tick next to. Is next to George Foreman. He just... Are just a he's a nightmare to fight, you know. It, in the three freeze and 12 freeze, it doesn't 15 freeze, it doesn't matter. He's a nightmare to fight, fight, but in three
1: threes, you've got to fight him. You've got no choice. only if you want to win, so you gotta got take it to that guy, and probably you can find it, probably find a lot more, a lot better things you'd rather do.
0: <laughs> That's a I'm sure there's even more. There's more, yes. The big one, the one that you're gonna love the most, probably, Paulie, in 1995. I wonder if you can guess it before I even say it. 1995, this week, Arturo Gatti. Oh, Wilson Rodriguez. Yes. What a win!
1: If you, I remember I saw an interview with Arturo about that fight, and um, he said uh, he had said that. Um, Uh, he wasn't thinking about losing in the fight in the moment when he got dropped. He was thinking he just bought a a really expensive sports car. And when he's down, he's like, oh, my God, I've got to get up. I've got to pay this car off. A couple of months later after this fight in the summer, because this was more – Arturo Gotti was in a wild car chase with his Dodge Viper. That was a sports car, and he took the cops on a wild car chase. <laughs> he wouldn't stop when they tried to pull him over, and when they finally got to him, he just kind of fell out of his car drunk. <laughs> he couldn't even stand. <laughs> you know? So that yeah, was a wild. Arturo was one of the wildest guys. I mean, I would run into him in nightclubs. It's I can't even. First of all, I'm not even going to put him out there uh, on the on the podcast. But it was a, really <laughs> a lot of fun to be around,
0: man. Really a lot of fun. But but could get you in trouble, (laughs) let's put it that way. Of course, like most boxers, like all the good ones. Right guys, that is all we have for this week. I hope you have enjoyed it. Like, comment and subscribe. Let us know who you think is gonna win this weekend out of the Povetkin and and, and White Fight and all the others as well. Stay locked to Box Art. We will be bringing you more and more unfiltered boxing news. Yes people, I am Savage Dan. I'm Paulie Malanaji. You are watching Mouthpiece, the official boxing podcast. We are two of the most knowledgeable, two of the most
1: charismatic, biggest personality guys in boxing, and we are two of the coolest cats talking about us <laughs> <cook> today. <laughs>